Hello everyone and welcome back to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast here on YouTube and if you're listening on your audio platform of your choice, I'm your host Chris Cato, very happy to be joined by a full house tonight, Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty here with me as well and we're going to bring them in in just a second. This is episode 114 of the podcast where we're going to be talking about the 2021 Dutch Grand Prix and also some breaking news that has happened just ahead of this weekend's race in Monza. Well, we've been away for a couple of uh, weeks now, almost a month now, the summer vacation and busy with work and everything. So just an absolute pleasure to be back here with you guys. Tyler, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing tonight? Thanks, Chris. Uh, It's great to be back. I just came back from the cottage today. Nice long weekend away with the family. I actually spent the whole week there. So it was away out uh, by the lake and nice and relaxed now. So ready to go. I'm wearing uh, my IX kit from last year, and it's one of the nicest kits I own. So I'm very happy I got to wear it today just because I love flaunting it on how nice it is. Um, so wearing that, uh, ready to go. Too bad about the Belgian Grand Prix that that got rained out. I mean, I wish we could have seen a, a fantastic race there, but uh, got to see an awesome atmosphere in the Netherlands this weekend. Absolutely, and I'm uh, following your footsteps as with my uh, customized uh, Max Verstappen jersey here. Maybe I'll uh, put over a picture of of what the back of the jersey looks like. But yes, we definitely committed to doing the full, at least Dutch tribute today. I know some people are going to be jumping in the comments talking about we're a fanboy podcast, but we do have to give uh, a lot of praise to the Dutchies out there because uh, they've been supporting our show for quite some time now, uh, which I'm sure that we'll get into. But Bring in Shaker as well. Been a couple of weeks since we've had you on the podcast, so great to have you back, man. How are you? Uh, yeah, man, it's great to be back. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, enjoyed uh, the Labor Day weekend. You know, went golfing, went to the driving range. Um, yeah, no, I've been working a lot, so yeah, it was nice to get out and enjoy the nice weather we've been having. The opposite of what was the Belgian Grand Prix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, like you said, it was really nice to see the atmosphere and nice to see that you guys are rocking the jerseys. I should have worn mine. I have an RVP uh, Netherlands jersey, but uh, yeah, no, it was a good race uh, in terms of the atmosphere. It certainly was. And yeah, sorry about that. We should have maybe coordinated that orange a little bit better, <laughs> but you'll provide us with a little bit of balance here. So, so that's all good. Yeah, so let's get right into the race. I mean, we were just talking a little bit before off-camera that not the most memorable race in terms of on-track action or some drama that we've seen, at, let's say, at the Hungarian Grand Prix, but it certainly was a memorable race just because of the atmosphere around the Zamvoort circuit and, of course, the return of the Dutch Grand Prix to the Formula 1 calendar after 36 years away. And I'm just going to start off with my initial thoughts. What a weekend it was. And, you know, it was funny. I was rewatching our video that we did a few years ago that's now gotten over 120,000 views, thanks to all you guys out there, where we were debating about, you know, who's who has the best fan base. Is it the Tifosi? Is it uh, the Max Verstappen fans? And that was, I think, two, three years ago now. And in that video, we're talking about just how crazy that Dutch Grand Prix is going to be when it finally happens. And now it finally happened this past weekend, and it certainly lived up to the expectations and the hype. And it was just so awesome to see that the support for Max Verstappen, all of the very passionate Dutch fans out there. And 
yeah, it was just kind of cool to be Dutch for a day <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, we've had so much uh, support from uh, the Netherlands and, of course, a lot of the uh, proud Max Verstappen fans out there that have been coming to watch our channel since the very beginning. So thank you to everybody out there. But it's just such an electric atmosphere, even just watching through the TV. Tyler, just looking at some of the shots we saw on social media and watching, of course, all of the sessions. I mean, was it what you were expecting from this race or even just exceeding your expectations? I think it exceeded my expectations. And I think the the best kind of summary of it is Alonso, when he's finishing up his race, <laughs> as said, uh, saying on the radio, uh, I think Max Verstappen won because of all the orange fog from the flares and the smoke grenades uh, in the stands at the Dutch Grand Prix. It was just phenomenal. And I think this immediately made I wanted to go to the Dutch Grand Prix. I think this immediately put it in my top three races that I personally want to go and experience. And just because the cars looked fantastic racing around that circuit, I mean, that's a perfect circuit for an F1 car. Maybe not in the terms of overtaking, but to watch a car go around that track, it's just beautiful to see all the dips and the, you know the bankings and the corners and it flying through that circuit. It was beautiful to watch. And uh, the atmosphere of the fans. I mean, I love going and traveling, watching soccer everywhere, football, whatever. Um, and it reminded me just of like how amazing. Uh, it's basically a full supporter section, but it's the whole track. I think it'd just be awesome to go to. So, no, it exceeded my expectations, and I can't wait to go to race there one day. Uh, yeah, like Tyler said, it was it was really nice to see all those cars on that track, just around all those bends and all the hills and uh, all the hills that you uh, that they would go up and uh, that they would go up. But I definitely rated. I wanted to go to Zandvoort last year uh, when they were originally going to have it, and this, like you said, it just kind of like backs up to, backs it up that you really want to go and experience that completely, uh, even more than Spa. What, uh, Spa uh, was uh, you know a couple of years back, and Hungary is so it's just basically double that. Um, so yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the Diffos you bring next week in Monza. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a true statement, Shaker, because I mean it, it is the battle. If we go back to our, like you said, Chris, our our video a couple of years back, Tifosi, or is it the Max Verstappen fans? And it, it, now there's it's the Tifosi starting to really step up. Now it's hard for them, I know, because uh, you know the Ferraris aren't winning material right now, but when they are. Obviously, it's an amazing atmosphere there as well. So, Chris, what do you think? Is this like a, a true test, or we, do we need Max Verstappen and Ferrari battling for a world championship to get to that like maximum level? Yeah, you need Max Verstappen in a Ferrari and then <laughs> and check all the boxes. It, it's it's cool the way that they scheduled it though for this year to go from you know Orange Army then to the Tifosi. Uh, but what was crazy is somebody was commenting in, in one of our last videos that there was only 70% capacity. So, wow. you know, you add another 30%. I think somebody was saying it's around 300,000, which is kind of typical of F1 attendance. I mean, imagine how I, you can't even, nobody would, would have known it was just 70% capacity. It was They were so loud and, and the smoke grenades, like you were saying, and everything. So, yeah, I think that it's a, it's going to be a big test for the Tifosi this week, but they're always tremendous as well, even regardless of the fact whether Ferrari wins or not, they always bring some excellent energy. But this is just different because it's just the support of one driver. And before we move on to Tyler, I want to piggyback off of what you said and also Shaker about the track itself, but I just want to pose the question to you guys. like, Have you ever seen a support 
for this driver like as much of as we've seen for Verstappen in particular at his home race but also just in general I don't know if there's ever been a driver that has gotten this much support I don't think so either and it's not just the Dutch support there is I mean it's worldwide for Max it's really impressive to see how many fans he's gotten and I just wonder if it just has keep compounding the fact that the Dutch fans are so in love with him that it, you know people around the world are watching and say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and, and watch Max Verstappen and cheer for him. And I, you know, I know a lot of F1 fans who have just gotten into F1, and their favorite driver is Max Verstappen. It, it's it's just a perfect marketing aspect that he has, and it's really awesome to see him kind of flourish in that sense as well and battling for the championship. It's really come out this year, and I wonder if it's just people are tired of seeing Hamilton win or want to see someone different. He's the next best young thing in the world. Um, or the fact that, you know, how charismatic he is and how honest he is and how vocal and aggressive the driving style is just phenomenal to watch. He's a perfect atmosphere uh, to be around and a perfect person to market around the world. No, I, I absolutely agree. And he's, he's such a young driver that, you know, he's going to be in F1 for a long time as well. So it's, it's kind of nice to see that there's the marketing is going into this young driver that's going to stick around for the next, you know, 10, 15 years and compound all these races and race wins and pulls at such a young age only to grow and to be a better driver. It's it's um, I like I, I think to your question, Chris, the only other driver I want to say is like Lewis Hamilton, who gets the, the backing in the British Grand Prix. But there's like, what, three uh, uh, British British drivers uh, in right. one. So it's a little bit harder to do, but. Uh, but yeah, I think Lewis Hamilton is the only one in terms of worldwide, but that you see, but not in, in not with an orange army behind him, you know, to stick out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's weird. Like maybe I don't know. Obviously, we weren't around in those days, but maybe when you know Senna was driving around Interlagos, he maybe got similar support, but. In, in terms of just visual and, and audio as well, I don't think we've ever seen something like this before because I just was watching a bunch of trackside videos and people just posting shots of the crowd and it's just insane. You know, they've got Supermax playing on the on the loudspeakers even before the race, which was pretty crazy. I know uh, Max isn't a big fan of that little theme song, but uh, at any rate, it was definitely playing all over uh, the Netherlands. But now before we get into the track, the other thing I wanted to point out before this turns too much into a Max Verstappen podcast, <laughs> but I just have to say I was very, very impressed and almost even surprised at how well he dealt with the pressure because the pressure on him was insane. I know Hamilton feels it when he goes to Silverstone, but like you said, Shaker, there's more British drivers. There's only one Dutch driver on the grid and everybody there. 99.9% were there to see Max Verstappen. He was the star attraction. There was one shot during the pre-race. He's putting on his helmet on, on the grid, and you just see the fans in the background. They're all got his their eyes on him, and you can just feel the crowd hovering above him. And I'm just sitting there going, I can't believe this guy is being able to, to weather all this pressure on his shoulders. Didn't make a mistake all weekend. Even some of the slip-ups in qualifying that weren't his fault with the DRS issues and everything got pole position 72 laps of lewis hamilton hunting him down pushing him to the limit just calm and collected got out of the car wasn't crazy about it definitely was happy but i was just like i don't know how this guy does it man 23 years old like shaker was saying he's so young and yeah i just have to say that part surprised me and just impressed me like crazy 
yeah, I would have to agree with you, Chris. I mean, the fact that, you know, all he had to do was react. And if you look at it, all he had to do is react to Lewis Hamilton and he had the race win. You know, that's the easy way of looking at this. But like you said, as you break it down with all the support and pressure on him, it actually was a very challenging Grand Prix for Max. And he said, you know, how much he loved racing and pushing 72 laps around Zanvoort. Um, everyone else loved watching him. But the fact that he dealt with it mentally was was also very impressive to how he dealt with the whole weekend. I mean, it was a it was a fantastic sweep of qualifying in the race, and he held on to the pressure pretty well. And I'm not sure if there'll be much more pressure in his career than that. Whether it's you know maybe chasing down for a world championship. I mean, it, is that more pressure probably than what he experienced in the Netherlands? But it's definitely a good warm up for him for. Uh, you know, maybe trying to drive for a world championship in a race deciding uh, drive that will have to do. Yeah, and I, I think this this race was a big one for him too with Lewis Hamilton so close as well. I think he really needed to, after what happened at Spa, not being able to be, not being able to be in front of um, the fans there as well. He needed to put on a show, you know, and le- like you said, uh, there's, you know, 99% of the people there are to watch are there to watch him. You know, imagine it's it's like being Messi or Ronaldo. You know, being out, yeah. being out of the stadium, everyone is there watching you and supporting you. Um, so it's it's such a huge experience for him to be able to do in front of uh, his his home country. You know, so. And Tyler, you're right too because it definitely wasn't a straightforward race. It was it was very difficult actually. Because credit to Lewis Hamilton, he was on his A game uh, when he came to the Dutch Grand Prix here. Because you know, obviously, everybody he was public enemy number one, let's say, uh, going into uh, you know Dutch territory. But he handled himself really well, I think. After you know what happened at the British Grand Prix, it was just credit to him that he handled everything pretty well and was a good sport about you know even some of the booing. But afterwards, the crowd wasn't really on him that much, and he even enjoyed himself very much around the Zamvoort circuit and just the atmosphere. So that was pretty cool to see. But it wasn't easy with having to go up against two Mercedes. And then, of course, the constant pressure from Lewis Hamilton, who I always think that when you're the driver in front, it's harder than when you're the driver behind hunting down because, you know, you're setting your own pace. You're not able to see the driver ahead and where the racing lines are and some of the mistakes that he's doing. So just seeing them them two go at it for 72 laps was very, very impressive. But it wasn't straightforward. And I think when you think back to, like, Azerbaijan, for example, when... The tire failure happened. I'm sure that must have been in the back of his mind somewhere. But yeah, excellent. Full credit goes to to both of those drivers. They were just a complete class above the rest of them. I mean, they lapped, I think, everybody up until Pierre Gasly, if I'm not mistaken. But their pace was just like rocket fuel. It was crazy. Yeah, it really was. Uh, but I want to give some credit to Lewis Hamilton because I thought he had a very, very solid race. Like a, a, a race-winning race. The only one that could have beat him was Max on a perfect race, and that's what happened. I mean, Mercedes and Lewis had a very solid strategy going throughout that whole race, and really pushed Max and almost had him. Yeah, you know, if he didn't, if Max didn't clear Bottas on that straight, it really would have been interesting to see if Lewis could have made a move coming up, but uh, he passed Bottas just at the right time, and it was a uh, it was a solid race from Lewis. I'm sure he'll be happy with the results. He got fastest lap. I'm sure we'll get into that whole debacle. Uh, in a second, but he got fastest lap. And he loses the lead of the championship just by a little bit, but he's very strong in Italy and at Monza, so we know that he'll be looking to fight back pretty hard there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, there was a crucial point for him in the end. It puts him three points behind Max. Um, um, so, I mean, even in the constructor, constructors as well, I think uh, Mercedes is 3.44 and Red Bull's at 3.32.5 mm. uh, for both of them. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 they are big points, and I'm sure we'll get into that debate as well. But, uh, but I think I, I kind of agree with, you know, Mercedes, the team. I know Valtteri got it anyways, and they should have just held. But it is like in terms of, you know, fighting for the championship Lewis needs those points and Valtteri's kind of out of it might as well get into it now um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah no I I kind of I kind of saw that happen too and I like thought about it and in the end I'm like yeah you know it is championship points in the end Valtteri is like 123 almost like you know 100 points behind so did you see uh, Tyler? Because you're wearing the the Z- the Ziggo sponsored shirt. I'm pretty sure it was Ziggo Sport. The Dutch commentators, yeah. you, when they were commentating over that whole fastest lap debacle, the guy was no. like, "Oh my God! Like Valtteri, you're a hero!" and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because he was commenting on it as if it was you know some race winning overtake or, or or a crash or something. It was just brilliant. But yeah, it was funny, right? He sets the the first sector purple second sector purple and i think he yeah. did actually try and back off in the last he did, sector he did, he did try he did to like slow down a little bit yeah yeah at the line he tried to slow down just maybe that's just like a hole i tried but like also like screw you for ditching me and putting me to an alpha um i don't know <laughs> maybe, it's, it's, it's interesting <laughs> yeah it was interesting so um but it led for a little bit drawn but i agree i mean Mercedes have to favor Lewis now. I mean, we said for the first six races, seven races, you got to keep it square yeah. between the two drivers and fair. You can't favor one already. But now, uh, after the summer break, like you said, Shaker Valtteri is 120-something points behind. He's out of it. Yeah. Um, have to favor the points all to Lewis. And they're lucky that Lewis got a solid lap in and that there was one lap left in the race that they could make a stop and still do a full lap and get that fastest lap. So... Crucial fastest lap. Let's see if it proves to be a title-winning fastest lap. And I believe uh, sprint race is next weekend, too, if I'm correct. That's right. Sprint race weekend. So it's going to be a wild one. Oh, yeah. It should be a really good one at Monza, too. Yeah. Yeah, every every point is crucial. We've been saying that basically since the start of the championship. So it, it was a little cheeky from Valtteri Bottas, of course. But I agree with you guys. I think he had plenty of races to try and mount the challenge to his teammate and to the championship. And he's just not there. So definitely, I think that him playing the team role now is where it's going to come into. And we saw that in this race, right? You know, putting him onto a longer strategy in order to try and hold up for Stappen, which he did successfully for two to three laps, but, you know, made a mistake coming out of the chicane, which allowed Verstappen to get a lot closer. So it's kind of been the story of Bottas's Mercedes career as... We now know that officially at the end of this season, his Mercedes tenure will come to an end as we transition into uh, some of the breaking news of the last couple of hours, in the last 24 hours at least, before we get back to the Dutch Grand Prix, is that of course, if you haven't heard, Valtteri Bottas will be signing with Alfa Romeo for 2022 and beyond. So he does have a multi-year deal, which he never got with Mercedes. So good for Valtteri there. And that all but uh, confirms the fact that George Russell will end up moving to Mercedes unless something ridiculously crazy happens, which I don't expect it to. So Not according to Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Lance Stroll, right? Yes, I know, coming, guys. Yeah. <laughs> or Nick DeVries, right? He's a Mercedes yeah, driver. Yes, yeah. 
So let me get your guys' uh, initial reaction to to the news. Maybe a little bit of a surprise because I want to bring in a Williams aspect to this conversation, but I want want that to be the second part to this little debate here. But Tyler, what did you think of, of not just Bottas leaving Mercedes? I think that was pretty clear, but him signing with Alfa Romeo. I think it's a perfect fit, actually. I was trying to figure out where Bottas was going to fit in. And like, it's not going to be at Williams. That car is just not there. For, for Valtteri, I don't think he'd want to sign at Williams, even though he's been there for, he was there before. I just feel like it wasn't the right move for Valtteri. And I was thinking, well, Aston Martin would be a good fit if they did that Lance Stroll swap. Uh, that's a possibility. Um, and then I was thinking, well, you know, you could put him at Alpine, but Alonso's there for two years and, and Ocon's going to stay there. So it's kind of tricky to see uh, what that what would happen there. So I, I like this move for Valtteri. I think it's a perfect time with, with Kimi retiring. It opens up the seat, and they put one experienced driver for another and get a lot of uh, you know good team leadership out of Valtteri. And I think it's important for Valtteri as well to be that number one driver and that team leader because he hasn't been that with Mercedes during his whole tenure. And I'm sure he wants to have that you know some say in where the car development is or what their strategy is and and have you know first dibs at everything rather than second so it's going to be nice for him and he's still in a solid car we saw how well Giovinazzi did with the Alpha uh, Alpha Romeo I should say uh, this weekend he you know had a solid weekend in that in that car so hopefully Alpha can you know strive and, and get Bottas up uh, you know and have him competitive for the rest of his tenure in F1. Yeah, it's actually really, really funny that this got announced today. Because just last night, I was uh, I was at a barbecue with a couple of my buddies, and we were talking about what's going to happen. Because like, I mean, George Russell to Mercedes was all, but you know, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It was going to happen within the next like six months or so, within the next for the next year. But we were talking about where Valtteri was going to end up, and you know, I was like, most likely Williams, because you know, because with with. Uh, uh, Kimmy leaving, you know, I thought the Mick Schumacher to um, uh, Alpha to Alpha was going to happen because, like, I don't want, I don't really see him staying at Haas. So I was really thinking it was going to be Williams. So when I saw the announcement today for Alpha, I and like Tyler said, it's a great fit, and you know, he can he can be that leader. And I, if I'm not wrong, I don't think that second seat is filled out for next year. I don't think Giovinazzi it's like fully signed, so we That's don't right. really know who's going to be completely in that seat. So it's going to be a great role for him. You know, he's gotten that experience at Mercedes. He's, uh, um, I, I think, I think he's going to do really well. And and you know, Kimi really performed in that in that car as well. So it's going to be you know place a fin with another fin you know so might as well <laughs> that's true that's true i think there are rumors of giovanazzi not being in f1 next year as well so i, I don't nothing's confirmed of course yet um but i think the rumors are there so it, it's gonna be interesting i mean obviously george is the um prime candidate for the mercedes seat but i guess the only thing Villeneuve could do here it, it could inspire with his comments is if stroll goes to mercedes and Russell goes to Aston Martin. Now, probably not. I'd say there's a 2% chance of that happening. But it, it's there. It's there. I'm just saying it's a possibility now. <laughs> yeah. I'd go with probably 0% at this point. <laughs> just from like George Russell's attitude in the last couple of weeks, and especially at this race, I think it's 
been pretty much confirmed to him, which uh, maybe once it's official, we can come back and, and do a video on that and what we expect from him. But I would agree with you guys. I think it is a good fit. He's got a relationship with Fred Vasseur, the Alfa Romeo team principal from, I believe, back in his GP3 days. So that's sort of the connection there. And Alfa Romeo, Sauber, as they've been known for many years, have always been a very good team in terms of, you know, boistering good talent and developing drivers. Of course, Valtteri's a little bit older, but it's still a good environment for him. Like we saw Kimi being successful. Now, I actually agree with Shaker that I expected him and maybe I would have liked to see him go to Williams because I think with Williams, obviously we want to see Russell go into Mercedes in a in a very good car. But I think that Williams are really showing signs of progress and kind of getting out from that bottom of the top 10 and getting into the top five. So I'm thinking that maybe this actually wouldn't be a bad time for Bottas to go back to Williams. He's familiar with the team. He was there when they were decently successful. And with the rule changes and everything coming up and which is the progress that Williams have made this year, it might be a great time for them. There, I'm just thinking that there might be more upside at Williams for the long term than there would be at Alfa Romeo. I'm not exactly sure. They're kind of in the same sort of area right now fighting for you know, ninth and eighth place in the constructor standing. So they could be very close, but I, just, I was a little bit surprised there. I thought that, you know, Mercedes driver again, going to a Mercedes powered team would make sense. And this is what's very interesting about this whole debate is that it seems like Ferrari doesn't have that much control anymore over Alfa Romeo's seats. Because like you said, Tyler, Giovinazzi seems like he's out. And it also seems like Ferrari don't require Alfa Romeo to have a Ferrari back driver anymore. Because here you have Bottas coming in Nick DeVries has been rumored to get into that alpha seat and um, a couple of other drivers that aren't Ferrari affiliated. So that second alpha seat is going to be very, very interesting. But nonetheless, I'm glad that Bottas is going to be staying on the grid and he has a multi-year deal, which I think he deserved for a while now and wasn't able to get at Mercedes. But uh, yeah, the second seat there at Alfa Romeo is, is going to be interesting. Could, could honestly very well be Mick Schumacher after what happened this weekend too. <laughs> Yeah, it could be Mick Schumacher, and I think that's probably the most likely candidate, and that leaves, you know, I, I think Latifi should stay at Williams. I think he's really shown a lot of upside and growth the last six races or so. I mean, especially his qualifying. His qualifying this weekend was really impressive until, he, of course, he binned it uh, <laughs> and crashed. <laughs> but other than that, you know, he may have gone into Q3 at the pace that he was on. Uh, which is unfortunate for Nicholas and unfortunate for George too, because he, of course, binned it as well. Um, but Williams are really looking good. And I think Latifi and DeFries in those two seats for next season is a very sneaky combo to have together. I think it'd be a really good spot for Nick DeFries. And I also think it'd be, you know, nice for Latifi because he's very comfortable and can help DeFries along the way. Of course, they raced against for each other for a championship in F2. Um, why not bring that competitive spirit back into Williams? And I think Mick goes into the Alpha, and that leaves one Haas left. Which do you does that go to Alex Albon? Well, I'm hearing Alex Albon to Williams, but I think Red Bull would then need to release the, him out of the Red Bull contract because Total Wolf doesn't want a Red Bull driver driving obviously a Mercedes power unit. But there's also another driver. I believe he's uh, the young driver in F2. It's, uh, I always forget his last name, Theo. Um, uh, Portier. Yes, yes. I always 
struggle to remember and pronounce it. <laughs> uh, he's very highly touted for Alfa Romeo. They did a test recently, I believe, back at the Hungarian Grand Prix, and he was incredibly impressive to them. So they think it's going to be too early to slot him in for next season. But I think that whoever gets that second seed at Alfa Romeo will probably be on a one-year deal, which is why Alex Albon would prefer to go to Williams. So it's very interesting who they're going to slot in beside Valtteri Bottas. But yeah, you have the few options. I would love to see Mick go to Alfa Romeo. I think that's a great partnership. And I think it's a a better environment for him. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. And and, of course, Haas isn't developing the car at all this year. They're focusing on next year, which it's a good learning year for for Mick in his growing experience. But at the same time, we want to see him in a competitive car. And hopefully Haas have a competitive car next year. Who knows? They could be top three. It's the whole regulation changes. Who knows what could happen, right? Yeah, You're right. It could be a really big sleeper for next year. But yeah, no, it should, it should be really interesting to see what happens on the grid uh, grid next year uh, in terms of the driver changes. Because I think almost but like three or four teams are confirmed, like McLaren, Red Bull, Ferrari, um, Alpine. I think those are like the four team with confirmed drivers for next yeah. year. So, I will pull it up right now for you. Give me one second. Yeah, I think like Aston Martin. Yeah, unofficially probably confirmed. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, it is. Um, Red Bull has both seats. Um, McLaren have both seats with Ricardo and Lando. Haas technically have both seats. Mick is contracted with Haas next year. Hmm. Oh, um, okay. and so is Mazepin. Uh, so that's interesting. Of course, I'm sure they can figure out a deal in that contract that brings them to Alpha. Uh, Alpine have both their drivers for next season. Uh, Alfa Romeo have Valtteri confirmed. Alfa Tori have no one confirmed for next season, which is interesting because Sonoda hasn't really impressed me at this last little no, bit. He hasn't really impressed me. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with Yuki. Uh, Aston Martin have Vettel, and that's the only one so far, but... I presume Stroll is going into that as well. Uh, Ferrari, of course, have Charles and Carlos. Uh, Mercedes will have most likely George Russell. George Russell and Williams have both seats available for next year so far. Mercedes don't have both seats either confirmed, right? They'll have jo- they have George Russell, but Lewis Hamilton only signed a one-year contract, right? They said they're only giving him signing him for one-year contracts now. No, Lewis is confirmed for next year. Oh, is he okay? Yeah, hold on. He signed a signed a two year deal in July, so he's good okay. for twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three. Oh damn! Okay, he is played doing the two years. Okay. Well, Tyler, to piggyback off of your comments on Sonoda, uh, he was very impressive in the early stages of the season, but since then hasn't shown very much. And I know I get it; he's a rookie. That's kind of the the growing pains of the first season in Formula One. But this is the part that frustrates me about Red Bull is that you know Christian Horner was saying, well, you know, I hope. Total Wolf doesn't block the Alex Albon move to Williams. And I'm like, dude, why didn't you just put him in Alpha Tauri this year? Imagine a lineup of Gasly and Albon. That would be oh, a killer lineup for Alpha Tauri. It would have been. I thought that's what was going to happen. And I mentioned this last year on how Sonoda wasn't ready for an F1 seat. And mm. he impressed us at the start, but I think it's starting to show that he wasn't ready just yet. I think he needed at least another year in F2. And he would have been phenomenal in F2 this year. No, I, I, I'm. I think George Albon and Gasly would line up. And why is he Gasly not confirmed for next year? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what his contract That's, is. Like he's been doing so well at AlphaTauri. He's been really thriving there. I'm surprised he, they haven't confirmed him yet. Well, you know Maybe why? He's, he's hoping for a better seat. Yeah, because he was 
Well, funny enough, he was actually hoping for the second Red Bull seat, but it just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they signed Sergio to another year contract, I believe. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that would have been a good move for him either, because I think I think he would he's been doing so well at AlphaTauri that you know you could really thrive being in another team, but I don't think it's Red Bull because Red Bull's main focus is Max, and it should be Max. Um, uh, but I, I think he would you know maybe perform better if he really wanted to move. He I don't think he should. I think he should stay in the AlphaTauri. But yeah, there's no other team left except for like. Williams, Alpha, and Haas. So, sorry, I'm just reading through um, a couple of contracts, and yeah, pretty. Well, I think we covered most of the contracts there. So it's going to be really interesting, like you said, uh, to see what happens with the whole driver market. It is silly season, but we're at the almost the culmination of silly season where everything has to start shaping up and, and what's going to be the right fit for everyone in this whole scenario. And who's going to end up being reserve drivers in all this. I mean, you can see someone getting kicked out of this and having to be a reserve driver, like what Albon was uh, this past season with Red Bull. And of course, Albon has had a lot of interest alongside the IndyCar ranks and It'll be interesting to see if he doesn't get a seat in F1 if he goes full-time next year into IndyCar. Um, we've seen a lot of F1 drivers have success over there. Roman Groja has revitalized his career. He signed a, a new deal with one of the top, top teams in IndyCar. Uh, he's been very impressive so far in his rookie season. So it's a very good option to, to send you know a, a young driver over to IndyCar and learn the ranks. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that he had to be a reserve driver this year because I think, like, like you said, George, uh, he, um, Alex Albon would have been done so much better if he just went somewhere else um, and continue to drive and get experience because you know, like, you don't have to stay in F one to be a you know to be a race car driver. He um, was driving, um, was it the DTM series? I think it's what it's called. Yeah. it's a touring car, not touring car, GT three series, I believe. Uh, around Europe and he's doing very well in that I think as well I think he's won race actually um, so kudos to Albon he's, he's racing really well okay did not know that yeah it's a lot of options for sure but uh, I think it's all going to probably resolve itself within the next couple days really mm -hmm. um, by the time we finish uh, the Italian Grand Prix hopefully we'll have a better picture of the driver lineup but yeah maybe uh send us your comments down below who do you think should get that second alfa romeo seed and possibly the lineup at williams and elsewhere around the grid so it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that oh by the way i'm just going through um his dtm and he's had a lot of great he's had one two oh no hold on how does this work there's two <laughs> numbers here it's probably his co-driver. Oh, maybe. I can't tell. He's at least finished first one race. I think it was the Nürburgring that he won Yeah, recently. it was the Nürburgring. And he's had two other podiums, it looks like. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's solid. Solid. I mean, it's good that he's racing, right? Not just sitting on the sidelines and, and oh, doing nothing. Oh, sorry. It's race one and race two. That's what it is. Oh, that okay. makes more sense. Okay. Okay, so yeah, but he has won one race and been on two podiums, so good for him. 
Yeah, we'll see how where Albon lands for 2022. All right, so that covers the driver market news for uh, the last 24, 48 hours. A um, couple minutes left here for us. I think we'll just uh, touch on a couple of other aspects of the Dutch Grand Prix. We obviously mentioned uh, you know, Pierre Gasly in our driver t- uh, market talks. Uh, he had a phenomenal race again in a qualifying session as well. A very quiet, lonely fourth place for him. But if it wasn't for obviously Max Verstappen and the results that he brought, he'd be one of the main talking points of, of the race because he was just absolutely phenomenal. And I think part of, uh, Shaker, what you were asking of why he didn't have a contract yet is he was maybe thinking of that second Red Bull seat, yeah. but uh, they didn't come a-calling, so he's going to be probably back at Alpha Tauri for next year, but he's just doing a phenomenal job as he did last year and just continuing that form. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense because Perez did have a pretty good drive. I think he came back from... Sorry, I had this pulled up. Uh... Okay, well, apparently I don't know. I think he started in the pit lane, right? It wasn't 20th. Uh, I believe it was pit lane start. I think you're right. Yeah, and he ended up coming what fifth? Oh, yeah, Eight, fifth, seventh or eighth, I think. Wait, I'm looking at the wrong thing here. That's was, what. Yeah, it was behind the two Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking at the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, he ended up coming in eighth, and he yeah. See, that's the thing though with Perez is like just touching on that second Red Bull seat, it's he had a really shitty qualifying and didn't help out his teammate having to go against two Mercedes. But it's just, un, you know, last couple of races, just not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is really interesting. I mean, I think that Perez still deserves that seat and deserves to be there next year. Yeah. Um, but the last two races since the summer break, of course, and a race qualifying, I guess you could say, um, it was tough for him uh, in Belgium making that mistake. And then, you know, you have the uh, unfortunate incident uh, during the whole qualifying debacle for him in Q1. He has to start from the back and um, ended up making up a lot of room and finishing eighth. It was a really nice drive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his confidence, that's a lot of confidence going into Monza where he, he's proven to be a good race driver around that circuit. So, Hopefully he can put everything together and have a solid race to end off this triple header uh, for Sergio Perez. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I was just looking at the rest of the starting grid here. Yeah, I don't. Honestly, at this point, it just seems like the second drivers at both teams, Mercedes and Red Bull, might not even be that much of a factor, just because <laughs> Max and Lewis's pace is just ten times better than them. So it's, it's just crazy. Like, it, I, it still gets me just the pace that both of them were setting. And within, like, two, less than 20 laps, they were ridiculously ahead of everybody else. I mean, there's, they're just amazing. Both well, of them. The thing is, like, I think Sergio Perez really does need to start getting higher in these points in these top six positions because they need to get constructors as well. They're very far yeah. behind constructors compared to what's going on. Well, no, sorry. I thought it was a big difference. They're, like, 12 points behind, but... Um, I mean, if Sergio Perez makes that push, they'll get those extra points that they need to get the constructors as well this year and not lose it out to Mercedes um, and have a chance of just winning the championship with Max. So Yeah, you're right. And then, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, considering that Max has won seven races and Perez yeah. has won one, like, yeah, they should be ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other team, I guess, would be Ferrari for getting the double points that they needed. 
Um, it's just yeah. so keep fighting McLaren in the championship. Yeah, that was my only final thing from from this race was just really talking about the circuit itself. Yeah. And we touched on this early, but yeah, it was just what a great little circuit. And so glad that it's back on the calendar. I know for overtaking, not the greatest track, but still we had some pretty decent overtakes in a turn one and the chicane at uh, turn 10. But my favorite corner personally, and I thought turn 14, the final banking corner was going to be spectacular. But turn three was just so awesome to watch with the, the really slanted banking going up there. And just to see how aggressive the drivers were in qualifying, it almost seems like they were going to crash right into the wall, but they were just fully, fully committed onto that high line that we saw Alonso use and then Verstappen and everybody else started copying it. So I just think this was a great circuit and drivers were punished for going off a line. You know, track limits wasn't an issue, thank God, because of the gravel and the grass and old school track. It's just what we need. And it just provided everything with, with, you know, the fan support and the racing itself. Everybody, the drivers just loved it. Yeah, they really did. And like you said, I I thought turn three ended up being a really spectacular corner uh maybe the underdog corner of, of the circuit you could say and it's really cool to watch them all funnel through turn three on the opening lap taking the different lines it, it reminded me of nascar and just the, you know the different lines people take during uh, those bank corners and it looked awesome with that camera angle and i just wish there was a little bit more of that during the race that we could see and i know the high line was used a lot but you know it, it i was almost interested to see what other lines drivers will take in the future if there will be um, almost like a uh, you know a more you were a sharper turn but going up the bank a little more and coming back down or if they'll you know end up using the low line maybe a little bit more next year um, you know finding that they tried the high line this year maybe we'll try the low line next year it'll be really interesting to see how that quarter works but yeah what a circuit yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's fun to drive on the video game, but watching it in all the different camera shots as well is uh, really, really cool to see. Now, do you guys have uh, anything else then from the Dutch Grand Prix that we might have missed? No, not for me. I think that's that's pretty much it. Just an awesome weekend, and like I said at the start of the podcast, I can't wait to get my butt over <laughs> to the Netherlands and watch a race. The amount of uh, Dutch pancakes I saw this weekend. So <laughs> I really want to try some now. I think that would be my last comment. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, we'll end on a sweet note. Uh, mm. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what a great weekend. It was uh, obviously for the Dutch listeners out there. Congratulations on a very well-hosted Grand Prix. Uh, I think that uh, the fan support was amazing, not just for Max, but also for the rest of the drivers and just the sport in general. And you guys deserve it. I mean, it's Verstappen and, and, and the Orange Army is really the reason why that Zanvoort is back on the calendar. Otherwise, it probably wouldn't have been one of the circuits to, to make its return. So full credit goes to you guys. And of course, appreciate all the support that you've given us over the last couple of years. And uh, we really enjoyed uh, watching some of the incredible scenes from that that I'm sure we're going to remember for quite some time. So that'll do it then for episode 114 of the podcast, recapping the 2021 Dutch Grand Prix. That does mean that Monza is next. By the time you're listening to this, it will be in a couple of days' time. So uh, it's a very, very busy end to this intense triple header. But of course, we've got the sprint format going on for this weekend, which is just a whole nother element to this triple header and, of course, the great Monza circuit. So 
should be a very, very busy weekend, but a good one, I think. And um, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit off camera if maybe we can fit in a, a live stream or two for one of the sprint events like we did last time in Silverstone. But uh, I'm excited for, for the sprint qualifying again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It was an awesome introduction to it, and I'm hoping that it continues its momentum into to number two. Yeah, and especially at Monza, sprint race should be really interesting. Mm. A sprint race, turn one at Monza? Oh, boy. <laughs> We're asking for trouble, aren't we? Yeah, we might be. It's it's big, right? Coming down three points between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in the championship. Of course, Max leading after uh, the Dutch Grand Prix. So it's going to be uh, a big, big race, as as will every single one until now and the end of the season. All right. Well, if you made it this far, thanks very much for giving us your attention for this little bit of a 45 minutes to an hour podcast here on the Backmarkers F1 show. Of course, if you haven't done so already, subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube and also give our podcast a good rating on any of the podcast platform apps that you're listening on. And all of our social links can be found in the description below if you want to reach out to us or just follow us when we're not posting videos or podcasts. For Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Chris Cato, and we'll see you after the Italian Grand Prix. Enjoy the race, guys.